We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and to follow him fully. Today's message is taught by our lead pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody this morning. Crossroads looking good, 1130. Hey, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. Grateful that you're with us here today, especially you and your family for joining us. Um, Listen, if you're online joining us in the middle of the week, welcome to you. We're so glad you're with us. Just so you all know, listen, our mission here at Crossroads is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. So if there's anything that we can do to help you along that journey, we are here for you. We want to walk those, that, that road with you. But just to brag on our church just a little bit, Pastor Jim was out here in the official's outfit, but he was actually just getting back from a missions trip last week. So here's a picture of our team. They made it all the way back from Mexico. They did a tremendous job so glad for them. Um, so if you see some of those tired faces, just tell them, good job. They did an amazing, amazing job. Now, also let you know that we are in week three of a series, but next weekend we end our series called Stuff You Can't Say at Church, and you are not going to want to miss it. I'm telling you, we are going to tell you what we're going to do with the $5 challenge then. So if you gave to that, or even if you didn't, just come back and you'll get to experience that. But we also are going to announce our Christmas Eve service is next week, and so you will not want to miss that either because we do it up big and we're excited, so don't miss next week either. But this week we're in a series, we're in week three of our series called Stuff You Can't Say at Church. Uh, and as we begin today, um, we, we got to realize that those things that we can't say in church, oftentimes the biggest one is money. People don't like it when you say money. And so even if you're here as a guest, you're thinking of all the weeks I came to this stinking church, I came in the money one, Hey, hang tight. You're going to be okay, okay. Because week one, what we looked at is the five fake news stories that are out there about God and money. We unpacked them and realized that God is more important than the gift that we would ever give. In fact, he's, he's greater than anything that we have in this life, and he's the one thing that we need more than anything else. Week two, we actually had my pet friend, Pastor Bo Chancey, here from Manchester Christian Church in New Hampshire. He spoke on five things we expect money to do, but they never can. And so, I don't know, I was blessed by Pastor Bo last weekend. He did such a good job, and so I was so grateful for him for coming all the way across the country to join us. And so, Pastor Bo, thank you. Thank you also. But if you missed any of those, our website, great place for you to go to catch up on them. Or the, the app is a great spot to be able to catch up on that and all kinds of great resources there. But this week, we come to week three. And the symbol we're going to be looking at is the one and only percentage. We're going to be looking at percentage as we tackle it. Now, have you ever heard this phrase before? It's a phrase that you might have heard. It says, why don't you give me 110%. Right, you ever heard that before? Like, just give me 110%. It's this motivation thing. I, I remember when I was playing baseball and I was lifting and we were kind of on our one rep max days. Our strength and conditioning coach in college would look over us underneath the bench or whatever. And he'd be like, come on, give me more. You can do it. You can do it. Give me 110%. And he's spitting all over me. I'm like, what is this, you know? And, and at first it kind of worked because it's this motivation thing. There's more inside. You've got to bring it out just a little bit more. That was until I realized that what math was, right? Because uh, when you realize that, you realize that there's nothing more than 100%. You can't give more than 100%. And so it kind of lost its motivational tendencies. And I'm like, dude, we need to talk about math instead of your spit. Like, just a second, you know. And so it, 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 it missed for me. But some of you probably look at money and God that way. 
You think that God is kind of looking over the top of you, spitting down on you, saying, give me 110% of what you've got. And, and, and maybe part of the reason you believe that is because you grew up in a church where they would pass that, uh, pass that offering plate as many times as it took until you were able to, uh, to give that extra 10%, if you know what I mean. Like you would just wait and wait and wait. And the reality is, is that you get jaded to that. You cringe when we talk about God and money. So I understand, but let me just tell you something today before we dive into the message. I'm going to be up front, I'm going to be honest with you today. What I'm going to talk about today is going to be very offensive. It will, in fact, it might even make you a little uncomfortable today. It, kind of like when you used to wear those 90s ponchos. You remember those? Like they made out of wool and like an SOS pad, but you wore them because they were cool, right? Like this is going to be kind of like that. A little abrasive, a little uncomfortable, but it's important for us to wrestle with. And I tell you that ahead of time because there's a lot of us out there that like to live in this bubble of control. The, the bubble of control. It's that bubble where everything's fine and everything's good as long as you don't talk about certain things, you don't touch it, like everything's fine. And as a firstborn type A plus person, I love me some bubble. I love that bubble. All my stuff's in there. All my feelings are in there. All my commitments and my contentment is in there. Like one of those imaginary forts that you would, you would build when you were growing up, you know, in the living room. And you thought you were invincible when you're inside that. Until your brother came and yanked the thing down and it all fell apart. And somebody might have popped your bubble of comfort someday. And you realize, you know what, I'm, I'm not that much in control as I thought I was. However, if you're here today, what I want you to hear more than anything else is what I'm about to tell you will give you 100% freedom. That, that I'm going to tell you the truth and the truth will actually set you free. But freedom is actually a funny thing because just because the prison door opens doesn't necessarily mean that you have to walk out of it. You have the choice. In fact, financial freedom has a choice that goes along with it. So you have to ask yourself a question. One of two things are either going to be true about you. Do I stay in the prison cell of this world that will lie to me and cheat from me, rob me of everything that I have? Or do I actually want to step into true freedom that is found in Jesus Christ? Because believe it or not, it takes courage to step out of a prison. I mean, it's, it's actually, it's hard. It's disorienting. It's, it's not the norm that you're used to. And so there's even a, a real word for this. It's called ins being institutionalized. Being institutionalized. I reached out to my friend Bowie, who's a correctional officer. I reached out and I said, hey, what's this all about? And he basically told me that being institutionalized is when prison becomes more like home than the real world is. One of the most famous examples of that comes from the movie Shawshank Redemption. Have you ever seen that movie before? There's a character in there by the name of Red. He's kind of an old timer. He's been around a long time. And, uh, and as a result of that, he's, he's become institutionalized. But he says this famous quote, and he says, these walls are kind of funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, get so deep, get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. They send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. The part that counts anyway. You see, I think for some of us, that's the way we feel about our money. Or that we're actually interacting with our money. Some of us are so used to the, to the shackles of debt, to the prison of more, to the incarceration of worrying if there's ever going to be enough. We have become financially institutionalized. Some of us don't want freedom because we're scared of what that might really mean for us on the other side of that door. And some of us are scared because we don't want to put the hard work into getting there. Just truth. But part of the reason money is something that we don't like to talk about in church, we really don't like to, is because you and I both know that we're not using it the right way. Right? You, you, you know what that means. 
Like, have you ever used a coffee cup to drive a nail just because it was handy and you didn't have a hammer? Right? You ever done that? Right? Ever used a Kool-Aid to dye your hair if, if you have it? Like you've ever done that before, you know? Have you ever, um, have you ever, well, my friend Mark actually has this great example. He was getting his daughter Zoe ready for school one day, and he had to kind of get her hair tied back before school. So this is a picture of cute Zoe. Um, if you zoom in a little bit closer, though, what he used was a bread bag clip, right? That's a, that's a bread bag clip, right? I got to give it up from a man, though, you know, being resourceful, using what you got, that's good. But now, my, uh, my grandpa, Grandpa Hunt, he was awesome. You would have loved Grandpa Hunt. But Grandpa Hunt had this other thing. He could use duct tape to fix anything. Anybody have a grandpa like that? Duct tape online? You ever had a grandpa like that? I mean, if you skinned your knee, duct tape band-aid. Right? Didn't matter. Didn't matter if that skin rips off later. We're in the now, baby, right now. Okay? Duct tape band-aid. Antenna goes out on your TV. Duct tape that thing. You're all good to go. You know what I mean? Like if your, if your baseball glove rips in the, in the leathers, you just use some duct tape, weave it together, you got duct tape leather. It's amazing. If you break your arm, duct tape, you know, just duct tape a cast on there. You're totally fine. But guess what? It's not what duct tape was used for. It wasn't designed to be used for that, and neither were any of those other things. And I think the same thing is true about our money. We use our money for some really interesting things. We use it for power and influence, and status, and significance, and manipulation, and security, and peace. But that's not what it was meant to be used for. Certainly not what God intended us to use it for. And this is really what our whole Financial Peace University class is all about. It's teaching us how to use God's money, God's way, so that we can become radically generous. That's the whole idea behind it. And so just this week, our FPU group ended up their last nine weeks together, and they did something I think is so stinking cool. They were spontaneous in the moment. They had thought about it, planned for it, and in the moment, they used God's money the right way. Take a look. We'd like to give you a tip. And he would come on up to the stage, you know. I don't need to say oh. something. You guys, you're not going to believe this. I was screaming. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love this. Amen. God is good. Jehovah Jireh. Our provider. We did it. I was praying, I said, you know what would be, I told my wife, it would be something if we could get an order for a church and a church would, that the Lord would lay on their hearts to help someone. <laughs> 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 so just give you a little update, but before we get going, uh, so the reason we're celebrating tonight is because we do a, we do a, a Financial Peace University nine-week course, and you've heard it before, but nine-week course, we're just finishing tonight, and uh, of course tonight happens to be on outrageous generosity, and so we wanted, we decided, you know, nine weeks ago that we were going to do this pizza thing, and along the way we decided that we were going to create a, a tip box right here. And last week we opened the box and counted the money, and with all intention to, to give it whoever, whoever God brings to us tonight. And uh, you know it's our hope and wish that you know that that we uh, that God would uh, bring the right person uh, and that we could bless you and maybe fill a financial hole hole that you need to fill right now. And so uh, so with all that said, we have five hundred and fifty dollars for you tonight. 
Plus, plus I think there's another there's another twenty in here, so five hundred and seventy dollars. There you go. so much to the bottom of my heart. God bless all of you. So cool. So proud of our team. So proud of Ross, the leader, Tina, the leader, all the leaders that are part of that. That you, you guys did a great job. Now let me give you. Let me just brag on that class for just a little bit. One of the most successful classes that we've had go through it. Thirteen families were a part of this. Thirteen families. They paid off eighty-seven thousand two hundred twenty-one dollars worth of debt in nine weeks in that class. Uh, collectively, they saved $46,600, and they also cut up 29 credit cards as a result of that. That is a class that is financially on the road to freedom. And you can be a part of that. We run those classes all the time. In fact, in the winter, you can get involved in that. You can have a story just like that, and we'd love for you to help you with that. Because, listen, when we ask money to do things that it was never meant to do, we get in trouble. We get in trouble. That's when we go into prison. We get into the prison of comparison and the fear of never having enough, the, the prison of failure. When we use our money in a way that was never intended to use, we will trap ourselves in a prison of our own making. And how we enter into this intentional incarceration is when we worship money more than anything else in our life. And when we start to sacrifice our time, our talent, our integrity, our family, our character in order to get more and more and more of it, when that happens, we become trapped. But today, I want you to know that freedom from money worship is possible and is available. And the solution is actually very simple. But actually doing it might be very hard. Because today, what I want to talk about is percentage giving. Percentage giving, it can be the most freeing thing for you and your relationship with God and with money. Pastor Bo Chancey says this in his book. He says, I assure you that what we are about to talk about is a full-fledged assault on the God of money. You must decide whether or not to allow this to happen. Are you willing to engage in thought that could radically alter your entire worldview and change the trajectory of your life? Now, God actually does want us to work off a percentage when it comes to our money. In fact, he says, this is the way that I've been directing people from the very, very beginning. So this week, what I want to be able to give you is five reasons why percentage-based giving works. And I'll give you a little bit warning. There's five of them. I'm going to spend a whole lot of time on the first two and very little on the last three. So if I get to point three and you're like, boy, this boy ain't never going to be quiet, right? Just hang tight. I told you on the front end, we're going to heavy load it on the front two. So the first one we're going to come to is this. Number one, 10% gives us our guide. In order to, to say that God has a percentage-giving mindset in mind for us, we need to know what that percentage is. And God says from the very beginning, I want you to start with 10%. You might have heard of it as a tithe or a tenth of what we make. And let me un try to untangle this just a little bit for us all today. Number one, where in the world did this even come from? Well, to understand this, what we have to do is we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 14, we get to see about the first time that the tithe is mentioned. Chapter 14, starting in verse 18. It says, Then Melchizedek, son, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So the very first mention that we have of the tithe was actually before God created it as a law. 
What we just read here is a, it was an interaction between the king of Salem, his name was Melchizedek, and a man by the name of Abram. Abram's one of the first people we hear about that God blesses and says, I'm going to start the entire nation of Israel out of your, out of your family. But, but what happens is, is that this high priest Melchizedek blesses Abram, speaks a high priestly blessing over him, and how Abram responded was that he gave a tenth of everything he had to him. He gave the tithe of what he had. Now what's interesting about that is that there was no moral or civil obligation for him to do this. What happened was Abram, out of the overflow and the blessing of what God had done, he just defaulted and said, you know what, I need to give 10% of what I've been given back to God. That was his natural inclination to do that. It wasn't until Moses set the people free a few hundred years later, uh, when he set the people free and they were in the middle of the desert, and then God comes in, he says, hey, I want to try to establish something for you between God and money. And so he created what's called the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenant is what we work off in the Old Testament. And we read about it in the book of Leviticus. It says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So this is where God establishes the order that we're supposed to have between him and our money, him and our stuff. Even though everything is already his, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give a tenth. I want you to give a tithe. I want you to give 10% of what you've got back to me. And you're probably asking yourself, well, well why do I do this? And, and maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian at all. You don't really believe in this whole God thing and you really got some questions. You're starting to say, well, is God really that hard up for cash? Like, does he need a little infusion? Is, is he trying to buy the new iPhone, because if he is, I understand why this might take a little bit. Maybe the Shekinah Glory PG&E bill is a little high up in heaven, and so he needs a little help with this. Maybe that's what it's about. No, it's not about that at all. It's about trust. It's about trust. It's about our reliance on him and how we honor him with what God has given us. We talked about this verse a couple of weeks ago, but the book in Proverbs says this in verse, chapter 3, verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. So giving back to God honors him by showing that we aren't controlled by money, but that we are content with him in our life. But the natural question would be, after this, of course, would be, well, that's great. God wants some of my money. I, okay, I, I can start to see that. Well, well, who do I give that to, or what am I supposed to give that to? Awesome question. The Bible even tells us this too in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So the design of the first fruits, the tithe, the tenth, whatever you want to say, is to give it to the storehouse. And scripturally, the context of that would be to give that to the church. That as faithful followers of God, we are to bring 10% of our very best to God for, to continue the work of the local church, the storehouse, to reach people for Jesus. Before I go too far, I want to talk to two groups of people really quickly here, though. First group of people. You are the people here that might not believe in God. You might be marginally interested in what I have to say right now. And when you hear me talk about giving money to the church, all of a sudden you might start to say, well, isn't that convenient? Hmm, that's very convenient. God wants 10% of my hard-earned dollars. He wants us to give it to him. And you, bald pastor man, are, are gracious enough to take my hard-earned money from me. Well... That's awfully nice of you to do that. And listen, from the outside looking in, it does look a little weird, doesn't it? It seems odd at best. But maybe your view of giving is because of what you've heard about churches or churches you've experienced where they're trying to squeeze money out of you. So I get it. But to you, I would say this. Just stick around. Stick around and you'll see why. 
Because if you stick around long enough, and I pray that this happens, you will see why God is so passionate about giving to his church. Because what you'll see is that Jesus is crazy in love with the church. In fact, Jesus loved the church so much that he died for the church. We, we, we actually read about this in the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want to be very clear. Jesus did not die for a building. Jesus died for people like you and me that were sinners that need saving. That's what he died for. But the church is the vehicle that he left running when he went back to heaven. And it's fueled by grace to carry on his mission. So if you've got a problem giving to the church, and this is just hard to understand, maybe look at it this way. God is asking you to give gas money to the church so we can go pick up more people for Jesus. Okay? That, that's basically what it's all about. So that's what I mean. So, so that's the first group. But, 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 but. Then there's a second group of y'all out there. Second group. There's a group of you out there that are like, hey, I believe in God. I'm a follower of Jesus. I do believe that I'm supposed to give to God. I'm just not sold on this whole tithe 10% pastor. You might say, well, Pastor B, you've got some nice Old Covenant, Old Testament verses there. But I sure don't see a lot of talk in the New Testament, especially from Jesus, about anything having to do with the tithe. So do I still need to tithe since there's now this new covenant that Jesus brought? And to you, I would say, well, you're partly right. Jesus, we don't see Jesus talk directly about the tithe in the New Testament. We don't. There's a whole lot of talk about giving and about generosity, but there's no real explicit discussion of the tithe except for a few obscure verses, some in Hebrews. But this is where we have to look a little closer when we come to this. Because whenever Jesus interacts with the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, all that stuff that we just talked about, every time he interacts with it in his ministry, he raises the bar, he never lowers it. Old Covenant says don't murder. Jesus says, oh, by the way, if you get angry, you actually murdered somebody. Old Covenant says that you are, you are to not commit adultery. Jesus says if you even look lustfully at a woman with your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. Old Covenant says we should we to forgive our enemies. Jesus actually says love your enemy, give him more than he deserves, and turn the other cheek. You see, Jesus was always about setting a higher bar for us to reach after he took away the fear of death. With what he did on the cross. So listen, it's true. If all that's true, that what Jesus just said, and he raised the bar, then riddle me this. Why in the world would we think Jesus would expect us to honor him with anything less than what was already established? In fact, wouldn't we say that maybe Jesus would be challenging us to even go higher than that? So that's why I say that 10% is just the guide. But I also want you to hear me say this, that God is not asking for 110%, man. He's saying, what if we start with 10%? What if we just started with 10%? So let's look at number two. Number two is this, the 10, 10, 80, God, save, live. Percentage-based giving is the polar opposite to another type of giving, which I'll call reactionary giving. See, percentage-based giving is when we set out with a plan of what we're going to do, what we're going to give to God. It's a purposeful approach to God with our money. Reactionary giving, on the other hand, is when it kind of, it changes as the winds of time change. You might come in here today feeling really good and really holy, and you're like, God, I'm just going to give you some money today. Some of you might have come in and you might have had a terrible morning, fought with your kids all the way here, hate your wife as you're walking through the doors, you think the coffee doesn't taste good, temperature's too cold, music was too loud, lights are too dim, bald guy's talking too much, and you're like, well, sorry God, 
Maybe if they fix all this stuff next week, I'll give some money, right? <laughs> That's called reactionary giving. See, God gives us guidelines for percentage-based giving knowing that we need some direction. He knew, left on our own, that God's work would get squeezed out like the cable bill when the bills are tight at the end of the month. And that is why it is so important that we talk about this next section. And so in order to do that, I, I thought with it being around um, the time of Thanksgiving that I'd give you a little visual aid. And uh, of course, a good visual aid is always uh, delicious. Uh, so uh, what I ha we have here is, uh, let's just talk about pie for a second. Anybody like some pie? Oh, yeah. This one's a lemon one. Mmm, doggy. Right? So let's just pretend uh, that, that, that what we get from God is, is symbolized in this pie. That everything we get is symbolized in the pie. And so basically what, um, what we're saying is that God says, hey, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to give me, um, I want you to give me 10%. Just give me 10%. And, and we've talked about it. This is where the tithe comes from. This is where we, we, we give back to the church to work on the mission of Christ. This is the gas money for Jesus, if you will. Uh, 10%. We've, we've understood that. But then if we work off a of 10, 10, 80, this is what really God's saying. He's saying, hey, that next 10%, what I want you to do is I want you to save that. I want you to put that into savings. Now, to our world, savings seems crazy. It absolutely seems crazy. Why would we not spend everything that we have? But it's very, very biblical. Proverbs actually tells us this in chapter 13, verse 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. It goes on in Proverbs to say that the wise store up choice food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. So, so God says it's wise for you to save some for yourself so you can retire and all that good stuff and save up for things. And then, but I want you to start off by giving me 10%. So 10% to me, 10% to yourself. And then listen, the rest of this, he says, do what you want. Do, do what you want with this. You can pay your bills. You can pay your mortgage. You can buy a car. You can buy beanie babies. Like whatever you want to do. Like this is your pie to spend on whatever else you want to do. He's just saying what I want you to do is I want you to start with 10% for me. Just right off the top, start with me. And then 10% for yourself. And then listen, you can live off the rest. This is a pretty balanced diet when it comes to God and our money. Now, anybody want some lemon this morning? Anybody want anything to eat, right? Girl, you've been through enough. Come here. You need to... So, girl had had some heart surgery right here, so there you go. I don't know if the doctor let you have that, but you go ahead. I'm going to need that plate back later. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. After, 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 afterward, afterward, afterward. So, so that's what God says. He says, listen, hey, tend to me, tend to you, and then and the rest is yours. Now, the hard part that we see when we, when we, in life is that oftentimes when we say, hey, you know, God gave me this pie, and, and, I, you know, and, and the hard part for us to say is, well, it's my pie. And then, and then when you start thinking about, oh, man, God's coming and he wants some of my money, all you got to do is just... <laughs> right? You think, no. You think, No. I can't give to God. It's not mine. Oh, wait. No, God, I'll get, you know, a little bit. Right? We think, God, that's all you really need, but this is mine. And we shove our whole face in and we're like, I got to keep it. Because if I don't eat it, he's going to take it. And it's mine anyway. So we engulf ourselves. Oh, my goodness. I love my job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> give me a minute. Right? But that's what we do. We think, we think that God's okay with that. We think he's okay with, you know what, it's our pie, we'll eat it how we want, we'll do it how we want to, we'll just do all that. And the problem with that, 
Well, I got some of my eyebrows. The only hair I got, right? Yeah, laugh it up. Wait till we get to heaven. We're all bald. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Right? Hey, but let's be honest for a second. Let's be honest for a second. We look at that and we're like, that makes sense, ma'am. 10% to God, 10% to me, live off of 80. I don't want to shove my face in that pie anymore. You're like, you, you, you get it. But here's the problem. Here's what happens. There is never a good time in your mind to start this. <laughs> never a good time to start dieting, apparently, either. But, but you know, like, you, there's never a good time to start. And so what we'll say is, we'll say this. We'll say, you know, I'm going to wait till I'm financially secure. Wait till I have it all figured out. I'm going to wait till the raise comes in. I'm going to wait till, till next week. That's when, I'll, that's when I'll start. And if we wait, guys, just listen. If we wait, if we wait, we are only delaying the opportunity to grow in your faith. Start now. Start today. Start with a little bit. Just start. Don't delay what God wants to do in your life until tomorrow. Start today. 10, 10, 80. God, save, live. Number three is this. It says the most dangerous prayer. Now, we've said from the very beginning that this is really a question that we have to face. Remember when we talked about the percentage-based giving comes down to a choice. No one's going to force you to do it. And what God is asking for us to consider is not necessarily the bare minimum. He's saying, I want to consider, you want, I want you to consider how much do you really trust me? And so in order to do that, there is a, there's a prayer that you can pray that will, I'm telling you right now, will mess you up. Are you ready for this? Here's the prayer. Dear God, what percentage giving would make me generous? That's a game changer. That'll wreck you in all the right ways. It'll cause you to evaluate your life, your priorities, your finances in ways that you never even thought. Now, I'm not naive. I'm not naive. I understand that not everyone is going to be able to dive into a tithe right, right away. But can I just ask you, what can you do? What does generosity look like for you right now? Maybe it is tithing. Maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines and it's time to dive in and trust God with your finances. Maybe for some people, it's establishing some sort of percentage. Start somewhere, give a percentage and make it a intentional giving, not reactionary giving. And for some of you, it's just beginning to give something, anything. You might, you might not stay in this church. That's okay. Give to another church. Give, but give to the work. Honor God. For my wife and I, this was a game changer. When we really dove into this and understood what it really meant, this was a game changer for us in our relationship, in our family. We have put God first from the very beginning when we had nothing but a couple of pennies to pinch together. And now we honor God with what he's blessed us with right now. But it has become part of who we are. Generosity, honoring God, it's just part of our relationship. I believe it'll improve your relationship too. Because I also believe it's important with our spiritual walks with God, which brings us to number four, that our giving percentage can never match God's. I think sometimes we look at giving to God as such a chore, such a sacrifice, and I totally understand this. We live in a world that requires money in order to do things and live in things and drive things and wear things and eat things. So God is not saying that I don't want you to have any money at all. I'm saying, because that's not practical, that's not possible. But I do think that we should consider the percentage that we're going to give to God. And when we do that, we should do that in light of what he's already done for us. Which is why I want you to remember this one line. I hope it sticks with you. God gave 100% of his son to take care of 100% of your sins. 
You and I are unable to take care of even a fraction of our sin. If even a little bit leaks into our life, we are separated from God forever. But because of what Jesus did for us, 100% of our sins are now able to be taken care of. And we receive 100% of God's grace. And we receive 100% of the eternity that he offers us. So in light of that, when God asks us to give a percentage back to him, doesn't that seem pretty reasonable? Doesn't that seem like the best deal on the planet? Because as I've said from the very beginning, this is not a wallet issue, this is a heart issue. What God is trying to, to get at is what is the nature of your heart? Does our heart beat for God and what he wants, or does it beat for what we want? Which is why number five is so important for us to look at. It says, what percentage of your heart are you giving to God? Might be the most critical question of all of, all of them. And we can look deeper at this if we look back in the, the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, we read the rest of it. It says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not be enough room to store it. God says, try me. You just try me. You bring it on. Listen, he's saying, trust me. I got you. I got you if I want you to trust me. And I think that is the root of all of our worries as it comes to giving in God, is that we just don't trust him. We don't think that he'll come through. We need more. But I love what this anonymous quote says that I found. It says, the real measure of your wealth is how much you'd be worth if you lost all your money. See, when we define our worth by what the world says, we are at the mercy of the stock market, the newest model, uh, which your neighbor has, whatever it might be. But in God's economy, we aren't judged by that anymore. I, I believe that Peter actually says it best in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 19. He says, For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's what we are bought with. That's why, my friends, God gave 100% of his son to take care of 100% of our sins. And if you look at that in that economy, my goodness, God's just saying, hey, just give me a portion back so that we can continue the work and more people can know about Jesus. Give, give a portion back so I can see that your heart's in this, that you really trust me with everything. He's not saying give 110%. He's saying, let's start with 10 Let's work from there. But if there isn't even a fraction of your heart that's with him, you're missing. You can't buy your way into Jesus' love. You can't buy your way into heaven. He says, hey, let's start with your heart. Give me your heart first. And I'm willing to bet that if you give me your heart, everything else is going to flow out from that. That you're going to start to be generous because you just can see how generous God was. You're going to start to love your neighbor as yourself because you can see how Jesus loved his neighbor. You're going to, all that's going to start pouring out of you. It's going to start with your heart. But at some point, you have to ask your heart, do I really trust you, Jesus? And if so, I'm going to show up my life. Which is why I love what we're going to experience here in a second as we watch a few baptisms. And baptisms are people that are saying, listen, I, uh, I want a new life, and I want a life with Jesus. And so we represent that by dying to ourselves. They, they go under the water. It represents dying to your old life. Coming back up into the water, the water washes you clean. It's a representation of what Jesus has done inside you. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I want you in my life. I'm going to give you 100% of me. You gave me 100% of you. And so we're going to hear a worship song. We're going to watch some baptisms. But might this be a chance for God to, to start to tap on your heart, to tap on your relationship, your marriage, to say, hey, what does it look like to truly trust him with our lives? And maybe it starts with our wallet.
My friends, I hope that this encourages you and challenges you, but I also hope that it reminds you how much Jesus loves you. So in this moment, let's hear about him. Let's embrace what we're about to see through baptism. But let's hear from God too. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, we love you so much. We love the fact that you gave 100% of your son for 100% of our sin. That you would love us so much that you couldn't imagine being apart from us. And so you gave and you gave and you gave and you're generous with your grace and your mercy. And so, Father, we use silly illustrations to talk about serious points. And so, God, there's a part of us that believes that you're trying to take stuff from us. That for some reason that if we don't consume it ourselves, you're going to take all of our joy. But, God, you're saying that's not it at all. You're saying give because I've given you. Trust me because I love you. And so as we see these baptisms, these examples of people that are just saying, God, I don't care who knows. Jesus, you're my Savior. I pray that you would honor this time, that we'd hear their testimonies, and that it would change us from the inside out. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.